This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. What I'd like to do in this talk is focus on the importance of um, science fiction in the work of David Bowie. As we all know, there's recurring science fiction themes in so many of Bowie's songs, his albums, his concert performances, um, from The Man Who Sold the World, Space Oddity, to Starman, to many of his recent works, as a number of speakers have, have mentioned um, today and yesterday. But I guess his most intensive period is the period of the pre-80s. Many of Bowie's songs during this period address the emotional, social and political changes that may happen in the world of the future given the contemporary context, which is exactly what good science fiction does. Key themes that are repeated in, in, his, in um, his songs include the grim apocalyptic uh, visions of the future, warning about the changes uh, brought about through technology, um, portrayals of aliens and alien encounters, engagement with the space race and the concept of, the hu of human progress or, and its potential for both utopia and dystopia. Um, themes relating to time, fractured time and non-linear approaches to his writing that evoke, very much evoke this idea of sonic um, time travel, which I find really interesting. But in addition to this um, science fiction influence, I also today want to look briefly at Bowie's science fiction-ness, uh, or what Brooks Landon has called science fiction thinking. Science fiction thinking refers to the process by which science fiction has become an extra te textual phenomenon that actually exits the genre. Um, Isfan Ciceri Rone explains, um, explains this further. He says, at this moment, a striking high proportion of films, commercial art, popular music, video and computer games, and non-genre fiction are overtly science fiction or contain elements of it. This widespread norm normalization of what's essentially a style of estrangement and dislocation has stimulated the development of science fictional habits of mind, so that we no longer treat science fiction as purely a genre engine producing formulaic effects, but rather as a kind of awareness we might call science fictionality, a mode of response that frames and tests experience, experiences as if they were aspects of a work of science fiction. And I want to be, I'll be slipping between these, both of these ideas um, throughout this, this presentation. Now, what uh, I therefore also want to examine is examples of a specifically Bowie science fictionality um, in this talk. And I'll be getting to that more so in the latter part. And I think it's no surprise that given his impact on science fiction culture, um, in 2013, he was inaugurated into the Science Fiction Hall of Fame as well. Bowie, I think, was very much a product of his times. He grew up in um, the boom period of science fiction, and Tyne um, mentioned this and Stephen earlier today as well, um, where there were new science realities um, and new products in, in terms of the science fiction genre in the 50s and 60s that were being offered. Um, the 50s in particular was the period of the big three, Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov and Robert Heinlein, um, and a whole series of other science fiction novelists who had a key effect in mainstreaming science fiction and making it extremely popular. Um, and we know that, that Bowie was a big fan of science fiction um, novels during this period. In terms of scientific and technological advancements, 
Um, there was nuclear warfare, which had reared its ugly head in the 40s, and the fear of mass devastation, which was solidified in the 50s and 60s. And this is the period that Bowie grew up in. Um, and of course, the, you know, the whole Cold War environment. This fear of science and technological progress um, was played out in the novels by uh, you know, many of these science fiction authors, but also in the emerging, these new magazines that were um, emerging from the 50s in particular, um, and, and were extremely popular in, in trying to envision what um, current technological and human progress uh, was going to bring about in terms of the future. So popular mechanics, amazing stories, astounding stories, and, and there were, I mean, so many of them. Um, this was coupled with a, what, the wonder of the space race that uh, Tyne spoke about so beautifully, um, that witnessed the human being exiting planet Earth and entering outer space, which culminated, of course, with the landing on the moon in 1969. And I still remember, as, as a kid, watching it on television, and all school kids were given photographs of the moon landing, and one day my mother threw them out. <sighs> I never forgive. Um, and along with this idea that the, the space, the whole era of space and conquering outer space is um, this kind of merging with new age culture that was happening during this uh, 60s period, which I also think is really important. Um, and much of this reality, of course, was also played out in, um, in the, a lot of the 50s science fiction films, The Day the Earth Stood Still, The Thing from Another World, um, Invasion from Mars, Wars, War of the Worlds, and on and on it goes. And many of these 50s examples were more low-budget productions, um, and they also tended to sort of thematise and allegorise issues of the, that had to do with contemporary reality. So it was always about the invading aliens, the giant creature that was made big as a result of you know, radiation tests and nuclear tests and so on. So it was very much played out through allegory. Um, and as the 60s progressed, as many of the speakers have talked about, um, the, the budgets start to become bigger and really the sort of iconic film of the 60s that blew Bowie's mind away was, um, of course, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was a Kubrick collaboration with Arthur C. Clarke. Now, this is a crucial film, um, both you know, in terms of its, its thematics, its special effects, which were designed by Douglas Trumbull, who was quite a visionary special effects designer, he later on did uh, Blade Runner, um, and also in terms of the themes which get darker and more dystopian. There's a real sense of having no faith in um, humanity and what it was capable of doing, especially when technology, scientific development was in the hands of the government and the military. And you start to see this being played out in the wonderful Omega Man with Charlton Heston, 1971, and Planet of the Apes, 1968, same year as, um, as 2001. So there's all of these amazing, um, amazing influences actually coming in. And Will spoke yesterday about this idea of a matrix, and I think it is very much a matrix that sort of weaves its way, both in terms of what influences Bowie and also what goes out um, from, from Bowie as well. Um, yeah, darker sci-fi. And the other key thing about this period is we need to remember too that these films, um, the magazines, the novels were actually being targeted to a new dev demographic that was emerging. Um, this was a new film audience. It was an audience um, that, I mean, I think in the, in the 1960s in the US, half of the population was under 30 years old. And these new films were now targeting this new demographic um, that 
was no longer you know, the family going to the movies. It was actually a youth culture going to the movies. Um, and these films not only tap into a sort of a, a cultural fear of this generation, but also introduce new kinds of aesthetics. And I think in the case of um, 2001, it also cre created this sense of uh, atmospheric um, synthesized sounds that suggest this idea of, of, of futurism, if you like. And speaking of sounds, um, yeah, one of the key films in terms of sound developments uh, during the period was Forbidden Planet. And Forbidden Planet um, is, is very important in that it, it shows that, that it's very much a product of a new electronic age where new electronic sounds are being produced. There's new amplification systems um, and other related technological developments um, that resulted in the creation of these new kind of space sounds, if you like. And in Forbidden Planet, for example, the, um, the electronic soundscape uh, was credited in, in the film as um, electronic tonalities by Louis and B.B. Barron, which I think is very cool. And the other key thing during this period in the early 60s is what was happening at BBC. BBC Recordings, um, the radiophonic uh, workshop was experimenting with many of these electronic sounds and many of us are familiar with uh, one of these sounds, the theme of Doctor Who, which Bowie would have been very aware of growing up in the 60s um, on British television. Um, so uh, with films like 2001 and, and um, The Sounds of Doctor Who, there was this possibility of futurist synthesis sounds that converged with psychedelic culture during the period and, and the discovery of these new inner and outer um, spaces. And there was very much a play during this time, and I think you see this also. Uh, Bowie um, in Space Oddity, for example, uses this concept of, um, you know, yes, it's about exploration of outer space, but it's also, you know, metaphoric of drug culture and actually entering this other journey, inner space, very, very kind of Timothy Leary. And I think that comes to its peak in 2001 in the amazing Stargate sequence, which is all about, you know, abstracted colours um, as, as um, Frank uh, sort of drifts off into space and into nothingness and this sense of, you know, total sort of doom um, as the film tries to visualise this um, sort of very conceptual idea of being lost in space, inner and outer. Um, I know we're running out, I don't think I'm going to be able to deal with this. Just in terms of context, and, and it's been mentioned already, um, it wasn't Bowie alone who was focusing on these science fiction themes in, in um, the world of music. There were many other bands during this period. Um, the Jimi Hendrix experience, for example, was using many of these amplified sounds and the <laughs> sorry, my voice is going, uh, but you know what I mean in terms of the, the hot licks kind of approach to, uh, to um, the, the guitar techniques that he, he used. Uh, and there's very much this kind of new experimentation taking place as a result of these new sound technologies that were emerging in the music field. Pink Floyd, um, I guess with them, it culminates with Dark Side of the Moon in 1973. And there's um, the crazy collaboration between Jeff uh, Jefferson Airplane, Grateful Dead, and Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. 1970 blows against the Empire, which thematically was about them cruising in a starship, looking down on planet Earth as it sort of decays and sort of comes to its end, if you like. So themes of dystopia and, and science fictionality are there. And then, of course, you have crazy little bands like the Spotniks, dressed in Camalco foil outfits, um, who really had nothing to do with science fiction. But despite the many similarities, how are we doing for time? 
Despite the many similarities, it was actually Bowie who'd pushed the boundaries in terms of the, uh, conceptually in terms of how he was using sound in relation, you know, along with these kind of themes of science fiction um, that he was drawing upon. Now, Space Oddity has been mentioned a few times um, and I might just quickly sort of zip through that. Let me just quickly see if there was something um, sort of essential that I want to say about it that hasn't been covered already. Um, only to say, I should mention too that not only the way Bowie draws on science fiction, um, but also the way Bowie's, Bowie's influence has impacted on contemporary culture. Earlier, um, Stephen talked about the Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield um, and him um, allowing, I guess, this sort of iconic science fiction trope that is space oddity, which discusses space travel, to actually travel itself into outer space. And that kind of stuff really um, interests me in terms of this perspective of science fictionality that I mentioned earlier. Oh, there he is. I'm going to... Oh, there's one... Oh, I so want to play it. The... Um, mm. oh, could we play uh, um, the, the little record? Just hit, hit the record, please, Ian. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, it's, it should be a sound and vi vision. This is Glenn Miller, yeah. Does it work? It's not working. Oh, well, I guess that solves that problem then. Um, I mean, what I want to talk about is, is this idea of, you know, all of these kind of signifiers of science fictionists that merge. Um, in The Man Who Sold the Moon, you've got, you know, a, a song that's been inspired by Robert Heinlein's... Um, uh, sorry, the song Robert Heinlein's Man Who Sold the Moon has been in, inspires Bowie um, in The Man Who Sold the World. But then that merges with what should have been a nice little clip of um, Glenn Miller's um, fantastic little uh, song that discusses the, the meeting on the staircase that Bowie talks about. So the, man, the Heinlein influence, and then you've got um, uh, Ray Bradbury's short story influence uh, from the Martian Chronicles, the night meeting, where an older Martian and a younger traveller meet um, on a stair. Uh, not, not meet on a stair in that one. They actually meet on Mars, but they're different time periods, and each is translucent to the other. And one talks about a future that's magnificent. The old Martian talks about a future, um, a, a world that's absolutely magnificent and, and this incredible sort of utopian society. And the young traveller's talking about this decayed society that's sort of, um, you know, apocalyptic, and, and the two visions don't sort of coalesce. Um, and what I find interesting is this concept comes in to Bowie's song, but he's also bringing in this fantastic song, The, the, the Little Man Who Wasn't There. I've, I've got some of the words written by um, Harold Adamson, um, but played magnificently by Glenn Miller and his band, and there's two people who meet, um, and the one's talking. Glenn Miller says, hello there, Texas, what you say? Are you whistling in the dark just to scare the ghost away? And then Tex says, I know there's something following me that I can't see. Someone sure laid an awful hex on me. And then the little song starts and it says, last night I saw upon the stair a little man who wasn't there. He wasn't there again today. Oh, how I wish he'd go away. Um, and he merges this kind of supernatural um, um, sort of story tale with this science fictional um, element. But I wanted to wrap up really with another influence, I think, that isn't discussed much um, in relation to Bowie, and that's the impact of uh, science fiction comics. 
superhero comics, basically, on some of his work. Um, a lot of his work talks about these, these incredibly godlike aliens who come to planet Earth. Um, and in, in comics during this, this 60s and early 70s period, this is Kirby's, Jack Kirby's New Gods. But I think, and there's um, Bowie reading Viz, one of the UK comics a bit later on in the day. But I think it's the X-Men that um, gives it away. Can anyone think what the song is? Oh, You Pretty Things. Bowie talks about um, the homo superior. And homo superior is a term coined by Stan Lee um, in the X-Men, which describes the next evolutionary phase um, of the human race and the idea of the death of you know, the, the human race as it was and being taken over by this new mutant um, evolved homo superior race. I don't have much time to go into that, but I just want to quickly blast you with some examples. What I'm interested in is this idea of memes, the memes that are David Bowie's science fictionality. Now, memes are an idea, behaviour, a style that self-replicate, um, very much like a contagion, as most of us know. And they act, like, uh, they act as semiotic units that carry cultural ideas that are mimicked, but also modified through replication. Bowie tropes um, have succumbed, um, the Bowie tropes that have succumbed to this kind of emetic structure over the last few decades tend to be the ones associated with science fiction. And you see the same kind of tropes recurring, these memes recurring in example after example um, within the context of, of sci-fi. Um, and they include things like references to Mars, aliens and so on. And these are just some of them. This is a fictional uh, poster um, by Rory Phillips called um, Strife, Strife on Mars, obviously playing on, on David's Bowie, David Bowie's life on Mars, and it imagines a play in which David Bowie appears playing the flight captain of the 8th Mars, Eighth, Eighth Mars Mecha Squadron, and he has um, to fight these alien creatures who are trying to sort of destroy him. So it's up to Bowie and the spiders um, to fight on, on behalf of humanity. This is Novar. He's uh, yeah, exactly. He's one of the young Avengers, and he's very clearly influenced by Bowie here. What's the great line? Come with me if you want to be awesome. <laughs> oh dear. And um, the other one is the impact of Starman from Ziggy Star. Star the Starman comic book series is. Um, yeah, it's gone on forever, it, but the character, the star man Michael Thomas appears in 1976, clearly influenced by Bowie, but not only that, um, in the, the comic book series, it's um, stated that he actually, in fact, is David Bowie, and he actually fights a battle with Iggy Pop, um, who <laughs> you know, tries to destroy him. Um, but then later on, it's revealed that in actual fact, he's an alien shapeshifter who hung out with Bowie, and liked him so much, he decided to take on the persona of David Bowie. Um, let's jump that. Diamond Dogs period, the Orwellian stuff, but the Diamond Dogs aspect um, really interests me. Diamond Dogs has appeared in Earthbound, the computer game from the 1980s, My Little Pony, the Diamond Dogs in My Little Pony, The Venture Brothers, the Adult Swim um, animation, where um, not only were the diamond dogs and there were the robotic dogs in the show, um, they were trackers, but there was also an impersonator of David Bowie in the show um, called The Sovereign. And this is my favourite. This is where... Um, the, all right, so this is Halloween Jack. 
That is Diamond Dog from the upcoming Metal Gear Solid 5 um, video game. And Diamond Dog has one eye, like Halloween Jack, and he wears an eye patch. And the squadron um, that works with this guy, oh, I can't show it to you. Um, the big boss guy, his name is Snake, and he's influenced by this snake, Kurt Russell, who was in Escape from New York, John Carpenter, and I'm convinced Carpenter was a Bowie fan. I haven't been able to do much research, um, and I reckon he was also influenced by Halloween Jack, because the references get thicker and thicker as you, as you move through the series. So it's like Escape from um, New York, Kurt Russell's Snake, Big Boss Snake in the, in the Metal Gear Solid video games, and now we're waiting for Diamond Dog, Halloween Jack Dog, um, coming up in September. I think I better leave it there. Thank you. <laughs> you have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.